1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as those as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they were not had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, well, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Today, we're going to be talking about having a divided interest. And some of us have a divided interest all the time. We, we, we think, okay, we're, we're juggling everything in life. How do I fit God in? How do I fit work in? How do I fit the kids in? You know, how do I fit in all of the school activities and sporting activities and everything else? So we're juggling all the time, and we can become divided. But God demands our undivided devotion. For the last few weeks, we've been in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and, and it's a section where Paul's actually answering a whole heap of questions that, that this church have written to him, asking him about. And what a privilege it must have been for them. Imagine if we had the opportunity to write to the Apostle Paul and ask him some questions and knowing that he's going to give us some answers. And so they had a real privilege to be able to do that and that's something which we can't, obviously can't do, but we are also privileged because we get to hear the answers to the questions that they're asking. And the answers to the questions that they're asking are questions about big issues in life, the same sorts of questions that we deal with today. And so far, they've been talking about sex, marriage, and family. 
And these are big issues. And this theme is continuing today. And he's specifically today addressing those who are betrothed. Okay, so he's speaking to those who are not married, but they're considering marriage. Now, technically, betrothal wasn't exactly the same as being engaged today, but it was very similar. It was probably a little bit of a stronger tie than today's engagement. Um, but essentially, when we read what Paul is saying here, it's pretty clear that he's talking to those who are not married, but they're considering marriage. And what he says to them probably pretty much goes against the, the culture of what most of the church is today. Uh, it's, it's very different to what most people would do in the church today. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but actually I'm pretty sure you have noticed, that the prevailing culture within the Christian church of today is if you're of marriageable age and you're not married, why not? What can we do to help you with that? You've obviously got a problem that needs solving. Um, see, some of us Christians, we're, we're so content in our own marriage, and it's been such a wonderful blessing to us that we see it as our duty to marry everybody else off. Uh, oh, you poor person, you're in your 20s and you're not married yet. Well, just as well we've got, we've got some young eligible people here and we'll marry you off. You agree that's pretty much the culture of most churches today? Yeah? And yet the Lord calls some to singleness and he calls some to marriage. Right from the time of creation, Yahweh God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. And so he created woman. And so most people have an immense desire, a God-given craving to not be alone. A man hungers for a wife. A woman hungers for a husband. And marriage is the gift of God to make this happen. The gift of God for husband and wife to be united for life. The two become one flesh. But God does also give another gift. The gift of singleness. And to the married and to the single, Paul's advice is remain as you are. Now, we touched on verse 27 a few weeks ago when we talked about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Verse 27 says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. And then our English translations say, Are you free from a wife? But in the Greek, it actually says, Have you been loosed from a wife? Have you been untied from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Right? So... If you're currently single, Paul's advice is it's best to remain single. But if you have this really strong urge that you need to be married, well, that's not a problem either. Get married. And the message is basically the same for widows and presumably also for the widowers. Now, for the kids, do you know the difference between a widow and a widower? A widow is a lady whose husband has died. A widower is a man whose wife has died, okay? God has a very special and a very deep love and concern for widows, and so should we. When a person has been married, particularly if it's been for a number of years, and their husband or their wife dies, 
the one who's left behind can find after a while that their feelings can be in quite a state of turmoil. Um, of course, there's great sadness and grieving for a period. But then after the period of grieving has finished, they might find themselves having a deep feeling of loneliness and having a longing for the intimacy that they've once experienced in marriage. And so they feel that they want to get married again. And so they have these feelings, but alongside these feelings, they also feel that they would be terribly disloyal to their husband or their wife who have died if they do get married again. Um, after my dad died, my mum found herself in a position where she was ready to get married again. And one of my uncles, one of dad's brothers, um, he shared with me how he was having a really tough time with this, that, that another man was going to have his brother's wife. And, and he just had a lot of trouble dealing with that. But Paul's answer to these feelings of disloyalty is that ma the marriage bond does not continue into the next life. Uh, this is where the Sadducees had gotten it wrong. That they, they didn't even believe in eternal life. And, and one of the arguments that they used against eternal life was, well, who are you going to be married to in eternity? Um, and they gave an example of a woman who they knew who had married a fellow and then he died. So she married another one and he died. And, and she married another one and he died. And they wanted to know who, whose wife is she going to be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus made it very clear to the Sadducees, as Paul does here, if your husband or your wife dies, you're not married to that person anymore. Marriage does not extend beyond the grave. And so you're not being disloyal by marrying another. But he does put a proviso on this, uh, that you should always marry someone who's a Christian. But even so, Paul maintains that for those who are not married, including the widows, even though it's not a sin to marry, and it's okay for them to get married, it's still better off if they remain single. Oh. Why would he say that? that? Doesn't that go so much against what many of us feel and, and, and the culture of the church itself? Why would he say this? What's his reason for why he's saying that it's better to remain single? Well, it's all about living with an eternal perspective. And this is the point that Paul is making. It's about letting nothing, nothing, distract us from our primary purpose of pleasing God. A single person doesn't have the same responsibilities that a married person does. Um, whenever a single person serves God, it will always cost them personally. You know, sometimes we get into our heads that God will never call me to do anything that I don't want to do. You know, we sort of think it's all going to be easy going. But as you read the scriptures, you'll very quickly discover that God calls us to fulfill assignments that are far bigger than what we are ever capable of doing. And to fulfill these assignments, we have to do it in the strength of God. It is God who does it through us. But the thing is, we have to adjust ourselves. We have to adjust our life circumstances to allow God and for us to obey God and to do what God is calling us to do and be who God is calling us to be. Now, when a single person calls God, that's only affecting one person. 
But when a married person serves God, it will very often cost both the husband and the wife. And in a family, it'll cost the whole family. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, living with an eternal perspective is always about putting God first. If God is truly my God, my primary purpose before anything else is to be undivided in my devotion to God. Whether I'm married or whether I'm single, it is to be undivided in serving God and in pleasing God. And when a man and a woman get married, their marriage can either be a marriage which functions with an eternal perspective or a marriage which functions with a worldly perspective. Either the married couple together will begin a life of service to God and their marriage is always about pleasing God. They put God as number one in everything they do. And they do this together. This is marriage with an eternal perspective. Whereas marriage from a worldly perspective is where the marriage, or the family for that matter, becomes something that distracts them from their ministry, where it becomes something that distracts them from their primary purpose of pleasing God. That Their primary focus shifts from God to the marriage itself or to the family itself rather than being on God. This life is short. Paul says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. Oh, I don't remember telling that to a couple when I've done marriage preparation. <laughs> it's usually about, now you're going to have to change the way you're doing everything, fella. So does that mean that the man should, oh, well, we can go out and have some drinks with the boys every night? Of course not. That's not what he's saying. We'll f discover what it means shortly. From now on, let those who have wives live as they have none. Those who mourn as though they are not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they're not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What he's saying is everything in this life is worldly and temporary. Everything. Everything. Everything of this world is temporary. Everything that you have is temporary. Everything you own, everything you buy, every business deal you make, every development you make, every accessory you put on your car, every new room that you add to your house, every new fence you put up on the farm, all of that is temporary. There's no such thing as temporary fences and permanent fences. They're all temporary. But get this, 
even the feelings and the emotions that we experience are temporary. They're of this world. And so are you having a tough time at the moment? Are you mourning? Well, have a bit of joy about you because those feelings are temporary. They're going to be gone. Now, you mightn't have too much trouble agreeing with all of this, but you might have a bit of trouble with this one. He's also telling us that our relationships, even our family relationships, are temporary. There is something far greater. There is something eternal, and that is our relationship with God. If I'm single and I get married, the question I have to be asking myself is, will my marriage distract me from what is pleasing to God? Or will my wife and I together have an undivided devotion to the Lord? That's what he's getting at. But I think we can all, it's also equally valid to ask this other question. If I'm single, if I'm living in singleness, am I doing it with an undivided devotion of pleasing God in my singleness? Nothing should ever be allowed to distract us from our primary purpose of pleasing God. If God is God, then God must always be number one. This is part of the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. The Family First political party, um, they've now merged into the Australian Conservatives with Cory Bernardi. Uh, but in 2001, uh, some Christians began this political party and they named it Family First. It, it's a name that they chose so that it would be more appealing to a broader electoral base. I, I'm not too sure they would have got too many people voting for it if they said our partner, vote for God first. Um, they'd get a few Christians, but probably not many others. But you know what? A lot of people are under the false impression, and even a lot of Christians are under the false impression that family first, and I'm not talking now about the political party, I'm just talking about the principle, family first always equates to God first. And so what I'm going to say here might offend some people. If I live with the mantra, family first... If I live with the principle that I am always going to put my family as number one, I'm not fit to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I love my wife dearly. Robin, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm tearing up as I say it because I really mean it. I love you. But if I was to love Robin more than I love Jesus, I'm not worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. I love my children dearly. Jake. I wasn't going to do this, but when you looked at me wondering, is he going to do it? I thought, I've got it. Jake, Ben, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I'm not, 
tearing up so much now because we're talking to men. Uh, but if I love you more than I love Jesus, I'm not worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. If my love for my wife and my children is so great that it becomes them who, am, uh, who I serve and it becomes them who I live for, I've embraced a worldly perspective of family. I love my parents. And the scriptures command us to honour our parents. But if I give my parents more honour than what I give to God, I'm not fit to be a disciple of Jesus. I was talking to a lady once and, and she was married to a man who was not a Christian. This lady, I'm not, at that stage I wasn't sure where she stood with the Lord by the end of the conversation I knew. Um, she was attending the church that we're in. Her husband wasn't a Christian and she said to me, if my husband doesn't get to heaven, I don't want to be there either. I was stunned. I was stunned. She would rather go to hell and be with the one that she loved than to be with God. That, that was very telling about what place God had in her life. Our desire for eternity shouldn't be about going to a nice place to be with the worldly ones who we already know, who we love. Our desire for eternity is about being with the one who we love more than any other that we've ever met or ever known. It's about being with God. It's about being with the Lord in his glory. And so it's all about God. It's not about us. Sometimes people try and justify their idolatry of family by making the claim, I'm serving God by giving my best to my family. And to an extent, that can almost sort of be true-ish. But it's got it all the wrong way around. It puts family as number one, and then it tries to pack God in around it. Uh, we've just gotten back from holidays and um, had a good holiday, by the way. I know everybody's going to ask. Um, People at the coast were complaining, oh, we hope the rain stops soon for you. Uh, well, we sort of think, well, we actually love the rain, but it did actually get to the point where we did actually want to go out and do stuff as well. I don't like admitting that, but yeah, it, it did. But when we go on holidays, it's always a bit of a challenge for us. Whose car is big enough when they go on holidays? Put your hand up if your car is big enough when you go on holidays. Neil and Jenny, and Kent, right? There's a few of you. Most of us find that the car is never big enough when we go on holidays. We've either got to add on a pod or a trailer or something. We just can't squeeze everything in. And here's Robin and I. It's only two of us now. And we're still finding that problem. See, the problem is when, when we go on holidays, I like taking a push bike. And Robin likes to take a scrapbooking stuff. And so we're there at the, at the beach and I go from early morning bike rides, Robin does the scrapbookings in the afternoon, it's all nice, but there's always a challenge packing the car. Imagine what, and what you know, of course, is the push bike has to go in first, doesn't it? Because imagine what it'd be like trying to pack the car. If you put everything else in and then right now, I've got to fit this push bike in. 
And well, the handlebars, are, it'd be pretty flattish if the handlebars weren't there, so we take the handlebars off and, oh, it's still too big, we'll take the wheels off and, oh, those pedals are going to rub on everything, so let's take those pedals off and, oh, the push bike fits now. It, it doesn't have handlebars and it doesn't have pedals and it doesn't have wheels, but the push bike's in. See, the thing is, we have to start with the push bike first. And it's like that when we're trying to fit God into our family. We have to start with God. It's only when we have an eternal perspective and we put God first and we bring our family into this life of this eternal perspective of always putting God as number one in everything that we do as a family. That's when, it, that's when you stop having the problems. Uh, I really don't... I know that God's wanting me to serve in this particular way, but I really don't have time to fit that in. You know, I don't have time for ministry. I don't have enough money to give. Um, I can't do RE. I just don't have time for any of these things. It'd be, it'd be inappropriate for us to have the homeless come to our home, you know, because we've got so much else going on. Uh, you see, our responsibilities are so much greater. My first responsibility is to my family. My next responsibility is to my work. I can't, I just can't fit anything else in for God at the moment. In fact, this is what I'm doing for you, God. I'm doing all this stuff for you. But it's not doing that. It's a total shift to becoming, we as a family recognise that you, God, are number one. Not just for me personally. You, God, are number one for our family and nothing's going to get in the way of that. As a family, we are willing to give up whatever it takes to serve you. We're willing to give up whatever it takes to love like Jesus loved. We're willing to give up whatever it takes to be your disciples, however you call us to be. We are going to give ourselves away, always putting the other first. I've found over the years that to truly serve God is not only something that costs me, it's something that costs my whole family. And for you to truly serve God, it's not only something that will cost you personally, it's something that will cost your whole family. And it's not just been because I've been a pastor of a church. This is part of the normal Christian life. A Christian family does not exist to serve itself. A Christian family exists for God. We exist to serve God. Exists to love others and to serve others as a family. Robin and I, we've just entered into a new stage of life. Our children are grown now. Our responsibility for them has ended. And it's now up to them. As a family, we've been modelling, hopefully, what it means to put God as number one. Um, our family at, at our dinner table, we've had many and varied strange people that we probably never would have invited to our home, excepting we're giving the love and the, and the invitation that Jesus gives to people. Um, the boys have, have lost lots of Sunday afternoons because Dad just hasn't been around. 
But this is all part of learning what it is to have God as number one in a family. But now it's up to them. It's up to them to put God as number one in their singleness. It's up to them to put God as number one in their marriages. It's up to them to put God as number one in their family. And if you are here today and you're listening to this and you're able to understand what I'm saying, the ball's in your court now too. Nobody else is going to do this for you. It's in your court now. Putting God as number one in your life is not your parents' responsibility. If you're old enough to understand this, it's up to you. Will you have an undivided devotion to the Lord? Living with an eternal perspective is living to please God in all that we do. Always putting God number one. Loving God more than anyone or anything in this whole wide world. Jesus is truly Lord when he comes first when we are unreservedly undivided in our loyalty to him. Sometimes it's not hard to understand what God's saying. It's hard to apply it. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus Christ gave up everything for us. Lord, we thank you for our Lord, our Saviour. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only Son to die for us so that you could bring us into relationship with you and that you, could, that you would bring us into your eternity, that you would bring us into your love. Our Lord... We confess to you right now that we are a people who live in a worldly world. So often we live as a worldly people. Our perspective, we try hard to have this eternal perspective, but sometimes things which are good in themselves, things like family, we, we still put above you. Oh, God, forgive us. Lord, Help us to always put you as number one. Lord, lead us in our singleness. Lead us in our marriages. Lead us in our betrothals. Lead us in our families. How to put you as number one always. And Lord, we know that there's going to be times when we fail in this. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy. But as the words of that song said before, what, what can I say, what can I do but to surrender my heart, O oh Lord, completely to you? Lord, may this be more than words. May it be more than lyrics of a nice song that we've sung. May it be more than feelings of committal. May it be something which works out in practice in our lives every day as we give ourselves completely over to you 
as we give our relationships completely over to you, as we give our marriages and our families completely over to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.